Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, I intend to teach on a topic entitled The Circumcision of Christ. Why do we teach about the circumcision of Christ? because it is one of our core consecrations and very important for a Christian to understand. One of the core consecrations of a believer in Christ to understand the circumcision of Christ. Because when we read the Old Testament, we meet the circumcision of Abraham and through then we see a deeper emphasis through Moses and in the New Testament later, we find uh, some impress men to receive the Lordship of Jesus, but also emphasize the circumcision of Moses. So we want to separate the circumcision of Moses or Abraham, which is of the flesh, from the circumcision of Christ, which is of the Spirit to understand it and carry the full benefits of it. To also explain to you why we no longer circumcise people in this age, but above all, to give meaning to this thing you call circumcision. Are you following? I'm going to share very deep things today. Very, very deep. And this is one of those sermons I would recommend you repeat once or twice because of what your spirit should understand, not necessarily what your mind should understand, that can be forgotten, but what your spirit should retain will not leave because it's imprinted uh, in a deeper realm. Now, he begins, Paul, in Colossians, the second chapter, the eighth verse, and allow me to go with the Amplified Version today because it's giving so much emphasis and language on what I feel in my heart I need to expound this afternoon. Paul says in verses 8, See to it that no one carries you off as spoil. No one carries you off as spoil. Somebody won you over as an individual. They took you or won you over as spoil. Like a man would go to war and then carry some, you know, cups of brass and gold and says, I'm taking this because I've defeated this kingdom. It's absurd to even think that certain human beings are as spoil in the realm of other people. So that nobody carries you off as spoil or makes you yourselves captive. That you're not held in captivity. Those of you who attended last Sunday, if you haven't, I recommend go listen to the sermon of Breakthrough. I taught and in there I tried to give the difference between bondage and captivity. And I asserted that the, one of the most confusing things about captivity is that when a man does not feel shackles on their feet or they don't see uh, chains on their hands, they think or assume that to some 
foremost since they are free men. But a man can be without shackles or chains, but under captivity. And what is captivity? I mentioned that captivity is the spirit of limitation. You can build, but not that far. You can dream, but not that far. You can establish, but not that far. You can grow, but not that far. You can expand, but not that far. You can excel, but not that far. You can do many things, but only to a certain limited space of function. And yet, the liberties of the Spirit have guaranteed God's best. And God's best will always push you beyond any limitations that the elements of this world or men might define over your life. So captivity is the spirit of limitation. Some of you have jobs, but you cannot do much with your jobs. Some of you are married, but you don't have the joy your marriage should give. Some of you are, you know, um, you're running businesses, but your businesses are not translating to the potential God has ordained on your life. Are you following what I'm saying? That's captivity. Now, in here again, he's telling us, that men can carry into captivity. You can find yourself in a place where you're limited in life and you're not as functional fully as you ought because a man has led you into captivity. Jesus tells the children of Israel, he says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. John 8:32. And in the 33rd verse, they answered him and said, we be Abraham's seed and we were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou that you shall be made free? You see, again, they've used the word bondage. They've not used the word captivity. Here, he's talking about setting them free from captivity. He came to set the captives free. Of course, the bound are set free, but the captives are set free. Bondage was to release you from that which could not allow you to move. Captivity was to remove you or release you, sorry, or deliver you from that which limited how far you could move when you were freed. Did you understand what I just said? Let me repeat it again. If you were released from bondage, you were released from that which refused you to move. Release from captivity is to deal with that which limited you in how far you could move when you were released to move. So they say we are sons of Abraham. We are a seed of faith. Abraham actually here is a typification of faith. We are a seed of faith. We have never been in bondage with any man. How say then that you want to set us free? How do you say you want to set us free? Because men are ignorant of captivity, but more attending or attentive of bondage. They understand what bondage is, but they don't understand what captivity is. And I've realized when a man lives under captivity for so long, they can sort of have a false comfort in that captivity. And captivity could even become a testimony if you have not gotten a full vision of where God wants you to go and how he has designed life as it ought to move. I've seen men who are testifying, yet they're still under captivity. Oh, now I eat food. There was a time we never used to have food. Now I eat food. But that's a man who is testifying in captivity. Because when you're out of captivity, you'll feed men. <laughs> Blessed to be a blessing. You'll feed men. God multiplies whatever is on you to affect hundreds, thousands, 
millions, millions. That's a man out of captivity. That is why you can never claim freedom when you are not doing anything in the kingdom. Any man who is not serving God, I don't care how much money you have, how many buildings you have in Kampala, how expensive your cars you drive, if you are not serving God some way, you're still under some captivity. Either you're under the captivity of the money that you have, the resources that God has availed you, or the circumstances under which you've been put to become so busy for the kingdom. But if you're not doing anything or in whatever you're doing, we don't see a connection, a connotation to the advancement of the kingdom of God. I want you to know that that's also some sort of either bondage or captivity. Are you following? But it says, this is how men are led into captivity. This is how you are limited in potential and function even when God has put his best in you. Some are held by, the Bible says, their so-called philosophy, intellectualism, and vain deceit. Those are idle fancies and plain nonsense. Following human traditions, that is men's ideas of the material rather than the spiritual world. Oh, just crude notions following the rudimentary and elemental teachings of the universe and disregarding the teachings of Christ. Crude notions. Crude notions. Let me help you understand what crude notions are. Ideas that are not fully backed, that carry no affirmation of spirit, but are agreeable, reasonable, logical in language. Are you following what I'm saying? It's like when the Bible speaks of them which desire to teach the law, not knowing what they teach, nor from whence they affirm. And now I want to help some ministers. That years ago, the Lord taught me a very, very fundamental lesson in this thing called ministry. The Bible says, when it comes to our ministration, we should wait on the Lord. We should wait on the Lord. And some people don't understand the place of waiting. The place of waiting spiritually is a place that prepares your spirit or makes ready your spirit or qualifies you in the spirit to be able to teach something. Because by reason of the full counsel of that thing, it is working in you or it has worked in you in some sort. Paul says, I will not speak of the things save which Christ has wrought by me or in me that I may make the Gentiles obedient both in word and deed. If you want people to be obedient in word as they speak or in deed or in their actions, when you instruct them, you must earn that credibility from the qualification of the full counsel that you attain by God. Or else, when you give an idea, it is crude. It is unfinished. It's half-baked. You see? When I was a younger man, just started ministry, I was always excited about ministering from the places of my personal conviction. So I read something, I study something wonderful, and then it blows my mind and I'm excited to give it out of the purity of heart and conscience. And so I give it because I'm excited to give it. But I thank God one of those days, he gives me an experience of learning. And he taught me not everything that I am teaching you is given to you to give men. I will only qualify you first for a thing before you minister it. I don't care how much you understand it. If the counsel is not full, keep it in your heart 
and allow me to teach you. It might take months, it might take years, it might take weeks, but one day the Spirit will tell you, now you can teach it. Every time you do that, it comes with such a grace and an anointing. It comes with such a distinctive glory that it will cause men to be obedient in word and need. In other words, it will easily multiply through them and work for them also when they apply it because it comes from a qualified place. But then you find ministers who are so quick, oh, I got this thing I was studying last week and then they get it and then they get excited before they understand it. And that's why it tells you when it comes to our ministration, let us wait on our ministration. Wait until God ministers to you, makes you understand this thing. In Romans 12, 7, it says our ministering, we have to wait on it. We have to wait on it. There are things that are going to come because you have matured into certain things. It doesn't matter how much you can articulate them in language, that does not necessarily qualify you spiritually to speak certain things. That is why the Bible tells us not to appoint a novice, least out of pride, they will be tempted into destruction. Why then do men appoint novices? Because they think that because a man can articulate something, can demonstrate some sort of gift, that means they are mature in qualification to be able to teach that to others. Yet they don't know that there are principles that govern every steward. And one of which is the maturity of the steward, the faithfulness of a steward, faithfulness in us to go to the place of being committed and available in the things of God. There's a churning, there is a pruning, there's a dealing with God that consecrates you to certain places of, you know, qualification. Recently, I was watching a minister, very gifted. He has a very gifted child, a gifted son. And this boy is gifted, in, you know, he can prophesy and stuff like that. I think he's 15 or 16. And then I see him put this boy on the altar and this boy is ministering to people and, you know, it's wonderful. You see it on television and you get excited. But every ounce of the apostolic in me was bleeding with pangs, genuine pain, not envy and jealousy because, you know, the apostolic cannot do anything like that. We're not against truth. We are for truth. But what I was bleeding was that he looks at the gift of this boy and he thinks that that equates to the maturity that would approve this boy to stand on the altar to minister simply because he's gifted. And I tell people, whether this boy is 15 or 16, nobody was as deep as Jesus at 15. Nobody was as deep as Jesus at 16. And I'm not saying that Jesus was not ministering at 15. At 12, you had him in the synagogues, demystifying mysteries. But I'm only trying to tell you that there are places that God would not let Jesus minister. There are certain exposures that he would not allow on this man because there's a process of growing, maturing in wisdom and stature to gain favor with God and man because we confuse revelation with wisdom. There's a difference. Revelation can hit you, okay? It hit Peter and he said, you are the Christ of God. And he said, flesh and blood revealed this not unto you, but my Father, which is in heaven. You understand? This is a man saying, flesh and blood revealed this not unto you. Jesus is telling Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you. That was revelation hitting the man's spirit. But in a few moments to come, this very man is denying him. Because we confuse revelation with wisdom. How would he deny the very man he recognizes? Are you following what I'm saying? So I'm not saying that revelation has no place of it. 
but it needs the reconciliation of the wisdom that can only come through maturity. You see, Jesus, it took him 30 years. I'm not saying he wasn't ministering at 15, at 16, no. But the dimension of ministry that qualified him at the point of the wisdom in which he was growing in much as he was 100% God could not expose him to certain dimensions of ministry. And I'm seeing this man going to destroy his child because much as this boy is gifted, this is not the time for him to stand before certain people, to stand before certain glories because the gift effectually could work before these individuals. This is not the time for certain lights and cameras to observe this kid. He could do that in a youth conference. He could help him and, you know, probably stir him among his peers and expose him where uh, the light would not inflate him. Are you following what I'm saying? But there's a certain age you cannot teach humility. <clears throat> Are you following what I'm saying? There's a certain age you can't teach humility because it can't understand that concept until a man matures into a certain space. So you see, in thinking he's loving his boy and preparing him for ministry, is actually destroying him. Are you learning something? I said, are you learning something? So some of the things we do are crude. The Bible speaks of Ephraim. And it says Ephraim is a bread half turned. He's a bread half baked in Hosea. And because of that, the Bible says he is an unwise son. Ephraim has revelation, but he's not wise because he's not experienced God enough. And because of that, the Bible says there's some sin bound with him and he stays long in the place of breaking forth of children. There are sorrows of travail in his spirit, not because it is the will of God for him to travail, but because he's indifferent on how to bring forth children. So he stays longer, the Bible says in Hosea 13, 13, in the place of breaking forth of children. Those are people who stay long in progressing into certain graces, much as the gift operating on their lives qualifies them. They look like they're qualified, but they cannot break through certain realms. They look like they're wiser than everybody, but they cannot break through certain realms. They look like they know it better than the other, but God will not let them into certain realms to function. They stay longer. They travail and tarry. The spirit of delay is because God wants to reconcile their wisdom with the gifting. Are you learning something? And that thing not only works in ministry, it goes in business and has consequences. It goes in your career and has consequences. Some of you are not ready for the offices you're asking God for. You might carry the qualifications, the academic credentials, but you have not yet matured to the place of what that office would require of you mentally, emotionally, and otherwise. So that means you're crude. You're crude. So he says, some people come with crude notions of the world, or some come with human traditions, men's ideas of the material rather than the spiritual world. Some come with vain deceit, idle fancies and plain nonsense, or they were deceived and so they also come in the version of deceiving as they were deceived. Or some come with intellectualism, or some come with philosophies, or whichever way it is, they imprint that on the spirits of men who are hungry and thirsty for God. And before you know that, you are held in captivity by the very voice that is supposed to set you free. Because you don't know the difference. You know, it's like I met a Christian a couple of years ago, and I meet a few of them who say this. They say, ah, no, I mean, I go to church. All churches are the same. No. 
not all churches are the same. When you're still immature, you can't tell the difference. At one point, when you were a baby, all food was food. But as you started to grow, you started separating meat from posho. You started separating beans from broccoli. You see what I'm saying? Not all churches are the same. They are the body of Christ, but not all of them are the same. So as you continue to separate the voices and you start to mature and say, ah, there's a difference here. Ah, this is what I see. Ah, now you're maturing. So that means you don't eat everything you see on internet. You don't take everything you read on TikTok. You don't receive everything on Facebook. You don't read every book because it's available for you. No, you are selective. Why are you selective? Because you're maturing. Otherwise, some of you are already overwhelmed, indebted. In fact, to the point of being deranged, you are getting as confused as never before in this thing called Christianity. Do you know some people are already confused about salvation because of the mixture of seed? You know, you had this and then you had that. You're free, you're not free. You're bound, you're not bound. So you're living in that, you know, cycle. It's going like that. And every day you're getting more and more confused. And the more you are in charge, unfortunately, the more lost you are. Because when the Bible says, go and reach out to the lost, we always assume, oh, these people who don't know Jesus. But I have met people in the church who are lost. They attend service, but they are lost. They pray, they even serve, but they are lost. And then tomorrow, this individual does something, says something, acts in a way, and you are in awe and you're like, eh, they didn't get it. All along they were hearing, but they were lost. Oh yes, they're attentive like this. The person is here in the body, but spiritually, they are lost. So when we're talking about the serving of these people, many of us look without, but we don't look at the people who are actually dying in the church. I've seen ministers who are lost in the church. Are you following what I'm saying? Who are confused, but they are in the church. And then somebody does something, and then tomorrow you're like, eh, how could this person do this? All along, they never understood it. All along, yeah, you thought they did because they spoke like they did, but no, at the end of the day, you discover that they did not understand it. And that's very painful. That's very painful. That is why you must take your salvation very seriously. Invest in understanding the word. I tell people there's a reason why Jesus taught more than he did anything. More than he prophesied, healed or did anything, he invested more in the teaching of a human being because I have seen people who are half-baked and some have served God for 40 years, 60 years, 70 years. But then when you start to examine this individual, you actually realize they've not even understood the basic elements of the faith. Are you following what I'm trying to tell you? They're still in these little small carnal things. They're still in strifes, they're still in envyings, contentions, little small things. The Bible says they act like mere men. They're still in those things you don't expect a man or woman who has walked with God for five, six, three years actually. Three years are enough to mature a person, enough to the place of some sort of expectation. And then they live and die like men. They live and die like men. One time, I'll, I'll tell you a story. This wonderful man of God, um, I think he had 
sort of a rumor. You know, like how people hear rumors? You know? Many people confuse facts with opinions and perspectives with truth. You see? Everybody's entitled to an opinion, but never take... Now, it's maturity. It's a mature thing. This takes maturity to understand that not every opinion you receive from an individual, including myself, is what? Is fucked until you can justify it by the Spirit. Not every perspective that is given you is approved as truth until you can vindicate it by the Spirit or by the Word. That's what the Bible tells us to test all spirits, whether they be of God. Do you know today in the church, a woman of God, they're just one rumor away from being destroyed. A man of God is just one rumor away from being destroyed. You just need to say, that person has a gun and a lion. And then it leaves one individual to another individual. And by the time it gets to the hundredth person, the word gun has changed to snake. You understand what I'm saying? And that's it, they take it. Because they're gullible, they're weak, they're immature. Here, this maturity is not 60 years, 70 years, no. It is spiritual. So I've seen people who, for me, if you've lived with me for some time, you'll understand. I don't take opinions for facts. You can tell me anything about an individual, but I'll have to ask God. You can give me a perspective about anything, but I will take some time, inquire of God, ask him, is this so? And I have sometimes been shocked at some of the things that almost everyone around me thought one way and God thought differently. In this thing called ministry, now I'm speaking to us ministers, if there's one thing God would help you master is to learn to hear him. Otherwise, you'll destroy people, you'll destroy yourself, you'll put yourself in a captivity that you never assume. And the maturity to take time and say, if I have misunderstood, no, to assume, you know, give a benefit of doubt and ask questions. Ask. One time somebody came to Fanero a couple of years ago and they told their neighbor, why do they use a black background if they are of God? So somebody judged me because the background of my stage was black. Do you understand? Who told them that black was evil? Who told them that the color black was evil? You can associate it with evil, but Satan does not wear black. No. The Bible says, no wonder Satan has transformed himself as an angel of light. You see, you don't even know how Satan looks like. Second Corinthians tells you he comes as an angel of light. He comes in a light. You see what I'm saying? But if they had inquired, would have explained to them that it's a camera thing, it's a video thing, that the white background will clash with many things and frustrate the picture online. So this was recommended by the guys doing video to make sure we have a more black background such so that it can accentuate the visuals. You see? But somebody had already judged that we are. <laughs> you ask. So this man of God writes about me on Facebook for four years, I think. He's writing, writing all these things about us and things which are not true. But you know me, I don't answer fathers. I don't. I don't. I don't. So if you think, 
that you're going to attack me and I answer you, you're attacking the, the wrong man. I will not answer you. And I have my reasons. Again, maturity. So one of those days, we called these fathers. They were, I think, 15 into 20. And then I, you know, went to this man and I said, I am sorry if I've ever wronged you or done anything wrong to you, because that was my first time to actually meet him. Like we'd never really acquainted. I said, but you've been attacking me for four years. I've come to tell you that you can correct me from today. And then I asked this man, great man of God, I said, but if I may ask, have you ever had a sermon of mine? Have you ever had me teaching? And he said, no, never had you teaching. So I asked him, so by what perimeter do you judge me? He says, your followers on Facebook, here some pastors say, so I tell him you have judged me for four years on Facebook and spoken all these things about me based on an opinion that you have never had for yourself. He said, yes. But I told him, but what does the Bible say? The Bible says that I hear, therefore I judge. If you have not heard a man, you cannot judge him. This is basic teaching with Christ. And I told him too. Titus says that at the first admonishing and second, then you can reject a man and regard him heretic. I am a son. You have the opportunity to call me and tell me, you know what? This I don't agree with you. Admonish me once, admonish me second, and then go on the internet and then, you know, spill all this and say, I tried to talk to this young man, but I failed, so now I'm bare knuckle. But you've never called me. He said, I didn't know you can be called. I said, now from today, here is my number. Okay? So the man apologized right there. And when he did, a couple of years later, some other random fellow writes something that I, all Fanero members are initiated. And we initiate you by giving you necklaces. I don't know how many necklaces I've given out. We initiate you by giving you rings. I don't know how many rings I've given out. That I initiate all of you by giving you watches. Eh. So, <laughs> now, already, that disturbs a Fanero member. One, because it's not true. But number two, if a person in Fanero can think that a man can take you to hell by giving you a watch, yet you know who God is in you, then either the God you serve is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or you have not learned God yet. Which was okay, I didn't mind that. So this man gets that, that article and throws it on his page again and starts now full throttle again to attack. So his elder friend, who is in the same circles, calls him and said, but you met this young man and said that if there are any issues to discuss, you'd call him. You know what the man said? He said, I'm the father. He should be the one to come to me. You understand? What does he mean? He means that every time he hears a rumor, he will hit me or lash at me then I come and explain. Until the next time he hears another rumor, then he lashes at me, then I come and explain, and until the next time he hears a rumor, then I come and then he beats me. You understand? He disciplines me. So I ask them, where is the space for him to hear me out first? But this is not a question you should ask a man who is twice your age and has been in the gospel for 40 years. Are you following what I'm saying? It's not a question I should ask a man that age. Because the Bible says in Malachi 4, 6, he shall turn the hearts of fathers to sons and the hearts of sons to their fathers. The heart 
of the father turns before the heart of the son turns. Why? Because God expects you to be the mature one. He expects you as a father to do the mature thing because you're mature. But if it's the son coming to make peace every time as you beat him, heaven asks who is the father. In fact, as hard as this can be, I entered the elevator after that meeting and as I was going down, pressed the button, the spirit told me, you've entered the son, you've gone out as a father. So, these are the things that qualify us to father this generation. It's not age, it's maturity. He might not recognize it, but heaven gave it to me because I did what a father should have done. You understand? Now, if I had acted indifferently and also gone on Facebook to lash at him, I would have put myself in some sort of captivity. And many young men don't know this that you can frustrate your ministry because you're fighting the wars of immature men. The Bible says, if there's still striving, envyings among you, are you not babes and walk as men? It says, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envyings and strives and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? That means it's carnal. There's a portion of scripture I read where he says, I wanted to speak to you or minister meat to you. And Paul says, but I was not able to minister meat to you because you were yet still babes. You were carnal in the spirit. For if there's still envies and strifes and all these contentions among you, he means to say, God can deny you a certain wisdom because you're not mature enough to take it. Read it. From the beginning. Give me the amplified version of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1. However, brethren, I could not talk to you as spiritual men, but as non-spiritual men of the flesh in whom the carnal nature predominates. As to mere infants in the new life in Christ, unable to talk yet. He comes to the church in Corinth and that's how he can talk to them. Verses 2 says, I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you were not yet strong enough to be ready for it. But even as yet, you're not strong enough to be ready for it. How can I then be frustrated from God's best? Go to the third verse. For you are still unspiritual. Having the nature of the flesh under the control of ordinary impulses, as long as there are envies, jealousies, wranglings, factions among you, are you not unspiritual and of the flesh behaving yourselves after a human standard like mere unchanged men? And God is saying, when you stay carnal, respond to your carnal impulses. He wants to give you the revelation to take you to the next level, but you're frustrating it because you've stayed carnal. It's those little small things. There's a person who is supposed now to go to the next level of ministry, but you still sit under gossip. You still are in those cheap talks of slander. You act carnally. You are carnal. And God says, but I want to give you food. I want to take you to the next level. I want to empower you to have responsibility over your nation. No, but you're still carnal. You're still in the flesh. You're envying, you're striving, you look at a man who is elevated and you know the spirit of jealousy is bad because it deceives you that when a man is elevated you've been put down. That's the problem with jealousy or envy. It will always deceive you that by the elevation of another you've been put below. Yet you forget many people can be elevated as far as they can. At one time you can come and God raises you and you can go further. You keep your course. And I could set this man's heart. 
I know his heart agreed with me, but he didn't know how to deal with envy. He was jealous in his heart. Some of you, you hate people for no cause. You're speaking even about your brothers and sisters for no reason. Or at least you're not even mature enough to ask. That's why I tell people, I told him, why don't you call me? And that accountability, I must tell you as your priest, it's not only to men above, even here, if there's something you don't understand, ask first. Because you might get it wrong because you're carnal. Ask first, why do you do what you do? I might have an explanation in scripture that you have not read yet. That does not make you right because you have given an opinion about your sister. That's just an opinion, not fact. It's just a perspective, not truth. Are you following what I'm saying? So you destroy each other over these little small petty things. Now me, I'm that kind of person who cannot allow to be denied revelation, God's best and wisdom, because I have an issue with you. I'd rather settle it with you and keep this. So let's continue back in Colossians. He says, people are deceived by philosophies, intellectualisms, vain deceits, human traditions, and crude notions and ideas. And then they forget the bigger picture. And this was the bigger picture Paul was trying to give the church in Colossae in verses 9. For in him, the whole fullness of the deity, he's talking about Jesus Christ, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form, giving complete expression of the divine nature. He's saying there's a picture you're missing because of intellectualism, philosophies, crude notions, and, you know, politics, and cheap talk, and indifferent doctrines. You're missing something. That in Christ, the fullness of God is bodily, and it's expressed in nature. And the next line says, and on top of the fullness of God being in Christ, the Bible says in verses 10, you are in him made full and having come to fullness of life in Christ. You too, he says, are filled with the Godhead, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and rich full spiritual stature. And he is the head of all rule and authority of every angelic principality and power. You have forgotten something that in Christ, the fullness of God dwells bodily and because you are also in him, also you, the fullness of God dwells bodily, of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, is in you a hundred percent. It's important not to forget this because it explains the next line. Without understanding this, you can't understand circumcision. Verses, verses 11, in him also, by understanding the other one, he says, in him also, you were circumcised with a circumcision, not made with hands, but in a spiritual circumcision performed by Christ. And what did he do when he circumcised you? He says, he stripped off the body of the flesh, the whole corrupt carnal nature with its passions and lusts. Oh, in him also, were you circumcised not by the circumcision of the flesh, but in the circumcision of the spiritual, which was performed by Christ himself by stripping off the body of the flesh, the whole corrupt and carnal nature with its passions and lusts. Thus, verses 12, you were circumcised when you were buried with him in your baptism, in which you also were raised with him into a new life through your faith in the working of God as displayed when he was raised from the dead. Ah, 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 let me explain this. When Jesus is on the cross, crucified, he says it is finished. When he dies, the Bible says you died with him. And when he's raised, you were raised with him. In that place of death, something happened besides the purchasing of your eternal salvation, besides the shedding of blood to remit your sins, something happened there. 
and this was you underwent a circumcision. When you underwent a circumcision, it killed or put off the corrupt nature, the carnal sense of you, the realm where your passions and lusts override the convictions and power of God. That part in you was killed. The life of salvation is a finished work. When Jesus says it is finished, you must understand this. Like you were circumcised, okay? Many other things were purchased in this salvation. For example, he was wounded for your transgressions, bruised for iniquities. The chastisement of your peace was upon him. And the Bible says, by his stripes, 1 Peter 24, ye were healed. Jesus paid it all. That's the song you sing. Jesus paid it all. Uh-huh. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Understand this. If you were healed by his stripes, as a reality, but then you wake up tomorrow and you have a headache. You have a stomachache. That does not change the position of heaven. It might change your position and bearing. You can say, I am sick. But that ain't changed the position of heaven. Heaven doesn't see you sick. Because heaven sees you were healed. You follow what I'm saying? Now, if you're mature in that realm, you will not say, I am sick because you are no longer living in the fallen world, you're living in Zion. That's why the Bible says, the inhabitants of Zion shall not say, I am sick. Isaiah 33, verse 24. He says, the people that dwell therein shall be forgiven of their iniquities. Any man who is conscious about the forgiveness of sin is conscious about the healing of God. So, a man who understands that you were healed because you were forgiven, that man claims the right of divine health, not healing, because they don't believe in the first place they can fall sick. And then you hear somebody say, oh, those people say that they can't fall sick. You see where we come from? We say we cannot fall sick because none of us shall say, I am sick. That does not mean that in reality, our bodies don't carry things sometimes and then you wake up and some is paining here, all that. But what's your war? Your war truly is to make sure that you tell your body to agree and yield to what God has already done in Christ. Who understands what I'm saying? This is deep because this is not what people teach. Otherwise, if people understood this doctrine, they would not go on, but they are going to be delivered from generational curses. Because the Bible says Christ has delivered us from the curse. Are you following what I'm saying? Now, follow me very closely. Now, there are two individuals, Christians. One is saying they are in pain, but they're saying, I thank you, Lord, because I was healed. Divine health is mine. I claim it. It is a right under the jurisdiction given to me by heaven. Thank you, Jesus, because I'm healed. And then there's another man saying, oh, I am sick. Father, heal me. But they're born again. Now, I will minister to this man healing, but once they get healed, I cannot guarantee that they're going to stay healthy because they're not claiming the higher law. They're not claiming the higher promise. They're not claiming the greater covenant. They're claiming the older one. So I expect that at some particular point again, they're going to fall sick and they're going to require my ministration over their bodies and I'll heal them again by the grace of God. But again, they're going to stay sick. But when you understand this mystery, you shift from divine healing to the miracle of divine health. 
That is why many of you who have been under this teaching for a long time, you've noticed something. Because the time used to be so sickly, sickly, but then you start to realize you're really sick or you've not been sick in a long time. Put up your hand if you're that person. You see, you know why? Because the Bible says these words are life to them that find them and health to their flesh. Not healing, health, health, health health to their flesh. As you continue pumping those things, you wake up in the morning and then you kickstart it with a sermon. My God. And then you put a devotion in your body. You understand? And then you drink a Thursday service. And then you replay last Sunday. You don't know what you're doing. Your kidneys are adjusting. Your liver is hearing. Your heart is aligning. That is why you will notice when you started hearing this message, you started to see sickness leave. You started living more and more healthy. Do I have a witness? Because that's what it does. But you see, that is because we are pulling you to agree with what already God has done in Christ. To agree with health. Look at wealth, for example. When Paul tells us, look after the poor, because you'll always have the poor among us, we do that. Every week I'm feeding people. Every week we're in prisons. Every week. We just don't tell you who we feed because it doesn't look proper to tell you that I'm the one who has been paying fees for that golden mother's child. It's not right. But we do that every week. But we don't want to feed them every year as poor men. Because we know of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, for though he was rich, but he made himself poor, that through his poverty, the Bible says you might be rich. I will provide for you. And we do, like I said, we do that. We do that with many people here. We just don't announce. We're not that kind of people. We build churches, we do, we do things that people don't even, every month, my COO, CFO will tell you, I sign checks for people every month of my life. But we are not going to tell you, I did this for this one, because we don't want our blessing to, yeah, to go. No, but while we do that, I want to teach this man and liberate him because I'm not always going to give him fish forever. That is crippling him. No, I want to teach him and say, but much as we're providing for you, this is a temporal place. You have to mature until you connect to the wealth that heaven has given by Christ. Because if you don't, we are going to only stay with poor people in the church and the kingdom will not be built. But they will always be among us. You understand what I'm saying? But what is poverty really? Poverty is not lack. Poverty is ignorance. That is why when Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to give food to the poor. No, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He's not saying that we don't give them food. He's saying while we give them food, that's not the full counsel. The full counsel is as you're feeding them, liberate them through truth. Show them that you can actually to work and shine and make a living and believe God and the earth can yield forth its fruit and substance to you. It was created for your profit. And once they agree on that, they're on welfare only for a short while. And then they evolve and go to a place where they also now start feeding others. That's the gospel. You examine your personal lives. Many of you came with nothing but the gospel has started to what? <laughs> Show me your hand. Yes, 
or you came with less. And when you continue to hear the word, it started to take you to the next level. You started to see that car, that first house. Yeah, but if we had let you stay there because we had accepted you in a victimized mindset, we would have killed you. We would have killed you. We would have killed you. Now, follow me closely. Follow me closely. Now, if Jesus was made poor that you might be rich, whether you have money on your account or not, you are rich by God. You understand what I'm saying? So you might have circumstances where you're looking for rent or you have a long debt. Oh yeah, 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 the circumstances are there. But they don't change who you are in Christ. My responsibility while we teach you and provide for you is to make sure that I push you here because once you are perfected here, then you will extend as a wealthy man to the poor. Are you following what I'm saying? This is very important. So your health was provided for. Your wealth was provided for. What wasn't? Everything was provided for. The Bible says you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place in Christ Jesus. The Bible says you've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called you unto glory and virtue. This is epignosis, not gnosis, progressive knowledge. It is not what you're learning that you have. No, it's what you are learning that you realize that you already had when you believed. Are you following what I'm saying? Now, so it is with your circumcision. Your circumcision was dealt with long ago. But some of you still have elements, fragments, tendencies, patterns of men which live or walk as uncircumcised men. Like Paul was telling the church in Corinthians, you're walking carnal yet you're spiritual people. You're acting like this yet you're not this. That is why if you have been in my counseling, especially when I'm disciplining you, some of you who misbehave, I usually use the word, this is not who you are. I usually use that word so much because I'm so, so attentive and distinct to make sure that in your madness, I keep your identity as it has been described by Christ. That's what he's saying in Colossians, laboring, preaching, and teaching in all wisdom that we might present all men perfect in Christ, not to Christ. I'm not here to say, let me perfect you, and then I'll take you to Christ like a, a prized possession. I say, look at that, look what I did, huh? No. Bible says in Colossians 1.28, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we might present every man perfect in Christ. Perfect in, not to. Not to, in Christ. That means everything I'm preaching is to reveal your perfection that you already have in Christ. Such that on that day, I am rewarded for revealing who you are. You see? You see my reward in heaven? Revealing who you really were in Christ. That's the work of the church. So, like we have people who are poor, still struggling, but yet the wealth of God is available. Some of you, it's doctrines, they teach you doctrines, and they even, you know, uh, they inflate some sort of righteousness alongside poverty. Some of you, it's traditions of men. Some of you, it's, you know, crude notions. They're half-baked teachers who are teaching you that it's okay to be sick. Oh, it's them who are teaching, not us. But they put you in that captivity. Because if you're in that captivity, it means you are limited even when the blessing has given you the fullness. Like wealth, like health, like peace, like... Oh, one time I was in a meeting where this young man, a preacher said, you know, righteousness is a gift imputed. But holiness is to be earned. Oh, and inside there, the inner witness told me this was told to him by a false teacher. Not because the man in himself is false, but what he's teaching is false. And he took it as gospel truth because he 
carried some sort of respect of the one who taught him. Listen, righteousness and true holiness are not worked for. Even holiness is not a work. Oh, the Bible says in Ephesians 4.24, and you have put on the which after God, read with me, is created in righteousness and true holiness. Oh! Shout glory. Yes, you have put on the new man and that new man is created in righteousness but is also created in holiness. That is not a work. I am holy even before I do anything. I am righteous before I do anything. But one Pharisee can hear me now and say, oh, he said it's holy. Oh, without living holy. No. True holiness is a work of God. It's a work of God. Now, like holiness, like righteousness, like wealth, you have been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Everything that you need has already been fixed by God. But you have elements and fragments of things that are not yet reconciled, yielded yet. And these are the members we try to, by teaching, to tame so they agree with who you are. And there are three things that are circumcised in this circumcision. Number one, your heart. Romans 2 verses 28. It says, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. You're not a Jew because you're a Jew outwardly, neither are you circumcised by God regarded because you are circumcised in the flesh. But he's saying in the verse next 29, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly and circumcision is out of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of God. This thing God has done in your life, no man can say I am responsible. Only God can circumcise or change men's hearts. There are people who can sit in a church like I told you and they will listen to everything but they're still closed and impervious to truth. You know that it's not right to gossip, but you're sitting under gossip and you're not sorry. You know that it's wrong to judge a man or a sister because of the very measure you judge another person, the very measure you'll be judged, but you still go ahead and judge others. You know that it is wrong to lie, but you still continue to lie. You're stiff-necked, you're hardened in the heart. You refuse to even do what you know is right, yet you are circumcised already. That is you yielding to your fallen nature. That is not who you are. Your nature is here. So one of the things God consecrates is the heart. Why? Because the eyes of the Lord, like Chronicles says, look to and fro through the whole world to show himself strong on behalf of the man whose heart is perfect with God. When your heart is perfected, and what is a perfect heart? Faith, hope, and love. Those three things. Besides those, there is no law. When the heart is perfected in faith, hope, and love, the eyes of the Lord would look to and fro to show himself strong. Let me tell you, I have had ministers who disqualify progress in the kingdom. They disqualify God's multiplication and power. Let me tell you, before God multiplies you, he looks at that heart. You might disqualify it in your doctrine, but that doesn't disqualify it by heaven. Yet it's what they pray for too. Are you following me, child of God? So this is very important for you to note that the heart is consecrated. It is designed by God to be circumcised. Why? He wants to take off that carnal sense or consciousness of your heart. Are you following what I'm saying? Said so that your heart will live consecrated by God to work only in accordance with the spirit 
and truth. So that's one thing God touches. You are already that. The Bible says, I shall give you a new heart. But some of you instead incline to the fallen nature instead of staying agreeable and yielded to the will of God. So it's possible for a Christian who is born again to live like that. Do not be like the Gentiles. They are subtle, subtly indifferent. Their minds are darkened, their understanding. And the Bible says they are alienated from the life of God through the ignorance of their heart. Number two, the ear. Jeremiah 6, verses 10. It says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, the ear is uncircumcised and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach and they have no delight in it. I learned many years ago that the ear can be circumcised. Because if the ear is not circumcised, you will hear the wrong thing. If somebody intends to say one thing, you'll hear another thing. And put that in marriage. Put an example of two married people who love each other, but their ears are uncircumcised. You say, I'm sorry. And then your spouse says, do you know what she said to me? She said, I'm sorry. You see? Those are two words spoken, but one with a different attitude. Then you tell them, why did you do this? And then she reports you and said, do you know he backed at me and said, why did you do this? And then this guy's like, did I back? I just said, why did you do this? No, that's not how you spoke. You spoke in a loud voice and said, why did you do this? And sometimes he's lying. He actually shouted. Or in some instances, he didn't actually shout, but she had a shout because the ear is uncircumcised. Put that in ministry. We work with people every day. Do you know how many times you'll find yourself sometimes, or several times, being misunderstood by the people you talk to? You say one thing and another man hears another. Paul spoke and taught in Romans chapter 3, verses 8. He said, some slanderously say, and report that we say that let us do evil so good should come. A man sat under Paul's teaching with uncircumcised ears and he heard Paul saying, let us sin. So when you hear people say, hmm, those people, hmm, they say it is okay to sin. Circumcision. Circumcision. They're hearing. They are yielding to an uncircumcised ear. And let me tell you something. When you yield to an uncircumcised ear, when you have a circumcised ear, you're born again. There'll always be a voice telling you, you're wrong, you just don't want to admit it. You understand? Because now the Holy Spirit is in you. You're not like David who would kill Uriah and then need the prophet to tell them you've killed somebody because the Spirit of God is not dwelling in them. The Spirit of God is a convictor, not a condemner, a convictor. He will tell you, even though you've told a lie, you also know that you're dying. Now, either you can yield to the voice of God and seek truth and reconciliation, or you can stay indifferent and rebellious to the will of God. Now, there are consequences. Those consequences are not from God, but they are from the devil because you are trading with him instead of agreeing with who you are in God. It is always easier to help people understand that that's not who they are than trying to tell them that that's who they are so they should walk on a way to make themselves right. And that is filthy rags. That's self-righteousness. Not the righteousness God has given. Somebody shout amen. Now imagine that uncircumcised ear. Eh? 
hearing God. And a pastor who is circumcised by Christ is hearing oracles, quote and unquote, from an uncircumcised realm. That's why Paul says in Timothy, in the last days the Spirit speaks expressly that men shall heed to seducing spirits, preaching doctrines of devils instead of the doctrine of Christ. Why? Because there's a familiar spirit that speaks like God. It's gentle, it's reasonable, it's logical, but it's not true. And to tell the difference, you must tune into the circumcised realm. And the man says, the Lord showed me something. Listen to me, listen to me. And then they start sharing. Oh, you start to realize it wasn't God. Because God doesn't teach like that. He doesn't talk like that. He doesn't minister like that. He doesn't minister from the realm of envy and strife and anger and offense and bitterness. No! He ministers from a realm of love. He ministers from a realm of knowledge. The Bible says he is the God of knowledge. So some of you, because your ears are uncircumcised, you even enjoy conversations a Christian should not hear. You watch things a Christian should not hear. You sit in conversations. That's why as you continue to mature, many of you are going to examine this and you'll see this to be true. There was a time you could sit under in a conversation. You understand? Like they're talking about, you know, people. And then you sit there, you also contribute. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that guy, ah, he's this. And then you laugh. And then one day, people start a conversation and something in you tells you no. Eh? Am I making sense? Or has somebody ever told you, Munanga, I want to tell you what Catherine said about you. And then your spirit tells you, no, don't tell me. Not because you might not want to hear, but you feel that you will hear and then carry offense and become bitter and maybe do something you're not supposed to do. And then the circumcision of Christ constrains you not to hear. Says so that you'll still walking in love with Catherine, not real names, in spite of what she's saying about you. That is maturity. Are you still hearing me? There are conversations you should not sit under anymore because they desecrate what God has consecrated. They frustrate that which is sacred in you. And some of you, when you yield to that realm, you bring some sort of limitations on your life and then you start going on a prayer mountain thinking that you're going to manipulate God through your fasting. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Be not deceived. Don't sit in things that will end you early. Are you following what I'm saying? Acts 7, 51. He says of men which are stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears. And what happens? When they are uncircumcised in heart and ears, they resist the Holy Ghost. They resist God. Lips. Lips are circumcised too. Exodus chapter 6, verses 30. And Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? In other words, when a man's lips are not circumcised, the things that should hear him don't hear him. The people that should hear you don't hear you. Because you carry no heavenly language, no grace and authority from the place where you should speak from. Now, Moses' lips were not circumcised, yet he was the man of the mandate. You know what God did? He got Aaron and anointed him to speak the words Moses should speak because Aaron's lips were circumcised. 
Aaron was not a man with mandate, but his lips were circumcised. So it's possible to have circumcised lips. You remember, was it Isaiah? He says, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Then what did the Lord do? The Bible says he was touched on the lips and his iniquity was taken away and the sin was purged. Because as a prophet, he would not prophesy when the lips are not circumcised. They are not aligned to the perfection and completion only truth should have when a man speaks. And some of you, your lips are not tamed. Of course, I'm not saying that God has not given you a language. Jesus has given you a language. He has circumcised your lips. But some of you refuse to speak in the circumcision of those lips and you tune and incline to the world of uncircumcised lips. And then you think that by conflicting these two worlds and making your mind double, you can receive anything from God. No! The Bible says that a double-minded man should not expect to receive anything from God. Because you're speaking one thing by Christ and then you find yourself with uncircumcised lips. How do I know you have uncircumcised lips? I can give you an example. Speaking negatively. Some of you, you're just so negative. Have you been around Christians who every time you find they're speaking negative? Oh, I'm going to die. Oh, I am poor. Oh, I am sick. Oh, my eyes, I can't see. Even in the joke, you are joking. Somebody gives them a book to read. Instead of saying, okay, pass me my glasses or let me try to straight. He says, you think I see anymore? Do you know what you've done to yourself? Is it true that you don't see at all? Or you're not able to read letters? So how do you shift yourself from the inability of reading letters to blindness? And then in 20 years, cataract hits you and you run blind. Why? Because your lips created it long ago. Life and death are in the power of a tongue. And he that loves it shall eat the fruit thereof. He didn't say the power of life or the power of death. Death has no power, life has no power, but your tongue does have power. Some of you, God has already given you a language to speak. You ignore this language and then go on yourself and speak languages you're not supposed to speak. I'm going to die. Eh? Recently, I met a young girl. What was she? 35, 36? And she was sitting up. She said, oh, I'm old. And circumcised. Confession. How can you say I'm old? For me, I'm old. 35? My mother is 70 what? 72? She's still running. She's under no tablet. Not even one. She's not selling any tablet with diabetes. Nothing, 100% still running with her grandchildren. You tell her, huh? She says, I still feel strong. Some of you are 35. I'm tired. I'm, I'm old. Am I helping somebody? If it comes in your head, like a bird flies, see it fly away. But don't build a nest for it. Oh, you're a parent. I don't know where you will get fees this time. And in the middle of the time, you start borrowing. But you said it with your mouth. You killed every gate that was going to bring provision with your very own mouth. And you think that you can continue confessing negatively and then receive God's best. It doesn't work that way. Uncircumcised lips. Uncircumcised lips, number two, are very judgmental. You always see the worst in people, not the best. You don't put like a benefit of doubt to say maybe there's another explanation. Uncircumcised lips are perverse. 
you find yourself, they call them cosy jokes or cosy jesting. Some of you joke with perversion in the mouth. Christian is not supposed to speak that way. I've seen people, ministers, a person preaches, but they say something so perverse. And they want to convince people that they're just being real. As if they can be more real than Christ. You cannot be more real than Christ. He says, let there be no filthiness, obscenity, indecency, no foolish and sinful, silly, corrupt talk, no cause jesting, which are not fitting or becoming. They don't befit you. There are certain words you speak and they don't look like you. You see, that's not who you are. They're not befitting. Your lips speak words you're not supposed to be speaking. Did you know also, uncircumcised lips pray for an unfinished realm of work. You know, those people who pray as though it's not finished. You know, when you start saying, Father, help me. I also want to get married. That's uncircumcised. The Bible says, look through the book. None shall lack her mate. God designed your man. He can't be away. Instead of thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, making your request, you're begging, you're evicting. You're begging what is already available for you. That is uncircumcised. Some of you, what you're asking for is already available by God. You see, the Bible says, even though they knew him as God, they did not glorify him as God. They knew he was God. He could do anything, but they did not glorify him as God. Glorifying him as God means they did not recognize his principles, his doctrines, his teaching. And the Bible says, neither were thankful. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 121. Uh-huh. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. That's what I was looking for. They were not thankful. So they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. When you know who God is, you understand the power of thanksgiving. Why are we thanksgiving? Because he has given us everything. If you know he has given you, why then do you go to bed? Don't ask for a child. Thank God for a child. That's a circumcised leap. Don't ask for a job. Thank God for a job. That's a circumcised tongue. Don't ask God for progress. Go to God with thanksgiving for progress. I never ask God help me do this. My prayer life is full of thanksgiving. I thank you because this is working. I thank you. Because the members of my body are functional. I thank you. Because I'm progressing. I thank you. Because increase is mine. Power is mine. Wisdom is mine. That's a circumcised tongue. If you don't learn to tame your lips, the things you should speak to and should hear you will not hear you. And if they don't hear you, you're going to become a victim in a world where you're supposed to be a victor by Christ. So, I'm simply telling you this. You have been circumcised by Christ himself. 
Walk ye as circumcised men. Live as circumcised men. Tame your heart, tame your ear, and tame your tongue. That's why he warns you, guard your heart for out of it are the issues of life. That's why he warns you, take heed what you hear. For with the very measure you hear, it shall be given back to you. That's why he warns you to bridle your tongue. He says, in many things we offend. But if any man offend not in word, the Bible says that man is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Now, body here is not only your physical body. It could also mean the body of Christ. When a man knows how to speak right, he will do so much in the body of Christ. Let's raise our hands and thank God for the message. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you for every man and woman who has heard this message this afternoon. There are people here, I understand, who had never reconciled this. One, the truth is that you have been circumcised by Christ. But maybe some of you have been uh, conflicting yourself with what God has done by Christ. And I have prayed for you now, not only for the wisdom, but for the grace that from today, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, your lips agree with the circumcision in Christ. Your ears agree with the circumcision in Christ. Your heart agrees with the circumcision in Christ. And that all limitation has been dealt with now. See, there's somebody who has been frustrating their marriage because they didn't know this. And today you're going to see it progress. You've been frustrating your work life. But because of this truth today, the liberty is going to extend in the things in which you've been limited. Some of you have been frustrating your body. You've been sickly. But tonight God heals you. And see what God does and how he does it. That in understanding circumcision, the limitations of your ignorance have been broken and you're going to enter God's best. You enter God's best in ministry. You enter God's best in function. You enter God's best in application. In everything you do, you will see God's best in life. In Jesus' name, give him a mighty round of praise. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Today, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999-400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.